You are listening to Digital Insider by Wiser. So Tom, how have you got from being in Sheffield University to living in New York City as Head of Innovation for Zenith? Um, I'm not entirely sure, actually. It's been quite a strange journey. I think um, there's this amazing quote from Napoleon about the secret of a well-made plan is that in retrospect, it looks inevitable. And I think it's quite easy to get quite smug and to think that I made a series of, of well-thought-out and strategic decisions to get here. But it's been a, it's been a sort of journey and a mess. Uh, but in short, I started working for um, client-side to start with. So I worked for GlaxoSmithKline. I did a short spell at Celador, who makes Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, then I came uh, to Agency World, so I went to TBWA. Um, became more interested in the sort of slightly stranger projects within advertising. So early on, I worked very closely with Nokia N-Series, and they had these incredible devices that were to be the phones of the future. And it just got me thinking about the industry more broadly. So we'd put on events, we'd do influencer marketing programs, we'd do sort of digital video campaigns. Um, and it got me really passionate about you know, doing things that are first and exploring the kind of boundaries of technology and also looking at how technology was changing our lives. Um, and it's that that sort of brought me to America, um, to the world of media, and then now with a much more broad role, sort of thinking about how technology can change the very fabric of business itself rather than just the advertising it does. So you talk a lot about um, technology creating threats to business, but even better opportunities. What do you actually mean by that? What I mean is, I think people tend to sort of apply technology uh, to the squeakiest wheel. I think they kind of see it as a way to smooth over um, problem areas. Um, and most of the sort of capex business cases for innovation and for technology, it's either based on how can we get some press for this? Um, how can we reassure the financial markets that we know what we're doing? Um, or it's based on something that's about to sort of collapse and fall over. Like no one's really looking at technology and thinking, right, how can we completely re, um, reimagine what this business would look like? Um, and that's incredibly frustrating to me. Like as someone that flies a lot and goes to a lot of hotels, you know, I'd love someone to sort of recreate the experience with technology at the core. And when we look at the sort of cliched archetypal success stories, whether it's Facebook or Uber or Airbnb or Alibaba or WeWork or Breather or Tesla, like these are not really sort of tech companies in terms of what they do. They're just companies that have created themselves from scratch with customer service as their kind of key point of differentiation. And they just happen to know that they need to use the best in class technology to do that. And do you, do you think companies can be successful without having best-of-class technology? Absolutely. No, that, that's a great question. And my sort of counterintuitive answer is no, because I think not, not every business operates in a way where existing technology is, is, is not working for them. And many of the aspects of transformation are much more about culture and people and mindsets and education than they are um, about having sort of the latest app or something. Um, I think that's a big mistake that people make. I think, you know, in short, if there were two mistakes, one is people tend to apply technology to existing processes to make them a bit better rather than to rethink what the processes should be. And the other thing is everyone assumes that transformation is all about technology and therefore something like, you know, letting people set their own working hours or something like remote working or something like, um, you know, employing generalists or something like micro bonuses when people do good things. They assume that because those aren't technology solutions that somehow they don't work and that's nonsense. A lot of the, the so go back to the companies that you mentioned there, uh, WeWork, Alibaba, Facebook, um, um, Uber, etc. They're all built around 
communities and people. Yeah. What about the, the businesses like in the oil and gas industry or uh, pharma that aren't built around communities? People don't really want to use them. They just have to use them. Mm-hmm. How can technology help them in, innovate? I think, um, I mean, it sounds like a very simplistic answer, but every, every company has a customer. Um, I mean, it may be a B2B customer, but we need to sort of reorchestrate the way that we construct and operate businesses around people. Um, like, actually, probably the single biggest shift in the world right now um, is not, you know, the industrialization or computerization or the digital um, transformation. It's that we've gone from a sort of uh, a lack of supply to an abundance. Mm-hmm. Like there are enough cars out there that we can choose to buy. There are enough insurance policies. There are enough rental agencies. Um, and I think what companies have done to, to create a point of difference, they've always made better products. They've always gone back to the factory and figured out how to buy rubber cheaper or how to make wheels faster. And management consultancy has always been entirely based on a sort of inward look. I think the real opportunity is going the other way. Like the real opportunity is listening to customers, yeah. like looking at the pain points that customers have, um, listening to customers' wildest and unarticulated dreams, and then using that material to then go back to the quote-unquote factory and then to sort of make a better product to experience. And that sounds a bit sort of vague and floppy, but I really mean that. Mm. I mean, like if you were actually to rethink the kind of car insurance policies that people yeah. would want, Sure. Um, it would be to have like you know loyalty programs, or it would be to have um, payment based on how yeah. fast you drove that week, or how far you drove, or mm. it'd be dynamically based on um, you know your car use or something. Like um, there's so much work that can be done working around people um, more than the technology itself. So how do you convince people and businesses when you consult um, to actually speak to users, understand what they want, and go with it? If they're steadily growing, but they want to grow even faster. I think those are probably the hardest companies to change. I mean, all, all companies are hard. Um, you know, very big companies that are sort of existentially screwed. Um, there's normally a slight sense within them that they are screwed, so they'll, they'll kind of take the meeting. Um, oddly, the easiest companies to change are probably the ones that need to the least, like the ones that are just sort of paranoid that they've got fast user growth, but that might not always continue. Yeah, it's the companies where kind of things are fine and people are sort of happy and they're kind of still making money and they're bonuses their personal bonuses are sort of tailing off those are the hard ones because normally they don't necessarily see that they have to do something um and you know most of these things kind of are quite analogous to the human body really where if you've got sort of quite bad knees um you're not going to have like knee surgery to repair them but at the same time you're just going to carry on making it worse and worse and worse and maybe it's easier to recover from a knee surgery when you're younger than when you're older um, so there's a degree of a sort of leap of faith that these people need. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, another interesting question, which people don't talk about that much, but do you improve the existing sort of machinery or do you actually mm-hmm. just recreate a whole new yeah. machine? Because I'd argue that, you know, people talk a lot about Kodak and say that they missed out on the whole photograph thing. Like if they had have gone into digital photography, mm-hmm. like none of us own digital cameras right now. Like none of us pay money to get digital um, photographs. Um, process. So actually, if they jumped very quickly to digital photos, they would have been even more screwed than their decision not to. And I think we need to be careful that we don't refine ourselves to create a better version of what is slightly outdated still and what has been leapfrogged by something else. Do you think companies are freaking out too much then? I think no one's freaking out the right amount. Okay. I think... um, Well, do you think they could be freaking out even more? (laughs) I think, I think in some cases. Okay. I mean, I have a slide that I use at a few presentations, yeah. which is, um, 
you know, on the, on the left side, there's can't sleep at night, and then on the right side, there's caught asleep at the wheel. And okay. I think most companies have within them people that are tending to be on either side. Because there's either people who get paid lots of money from Deloitte or McKinsey or Bain mm -hmm. to go to a business mm -hmm. that, you know, makes shampoo, and they're told, you know, what's your blockchain strategy? You know, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. what's, what are you going to do about 5G? Like, yeah, you're, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. screwed unless you've got a 5G strategy. What's your smart cities approach? Like, what's your reimagined uh, e-commerce approach and actually like these people are just there to drum up more business for their consultancy wing and then there's a whole group of people that kind of don't really understand what this is and they kind of don't like not understanding stuff and they decide to be in denial but a key part of my role is to try and go to these places and say look things are changing like you do make shampoo like more and more shampoo is bought online like people now have slightly different expectations from shampoo do they want personalized shampoo probably not so they want drone delivered shampoo it's not possible it won't ever be possible so it's to try and drone get them delivers. uncomfortable enough to do something okay. but not sort of paralyzed by this choice yeah so let's just talk about the advertising industry like your your bread and butter yeah. your background give the audience a bit of a a breakdown of how that's evolved in especially in recent years um how you've evolved with it yeah i mean the quick answer is it hasn't really evolved um and i don't want this to sound mean-spirited but what we've tended to do is keep everything pretty much the same um and then sort of bolt digital on as like a new supply spec at the end so in the past we may have made a tv ad and it would have left the building on a digi beta yeah. and then now we make a tv ad and we render it out with a special codec and it doesn't leave the building it just goes through the wires of the internet to a server but the actual product itself has not really changed that much uh you you could argue and it would be a long argument about slight modifications like we've made ads shorter um, or we've added like an action button saying click here to find out more. But generally speaking, about 99% of a normal creative agency is pretty much exactly the same as it used to be. Media agencies have done a better job because they now have tools which are more sophisticated, which allow them to understand changing consumer yep. behaviors. We can now uh, you know, buy ads programmatically. We have a lot more data that's at our disposal to reach people and see how people are responding. Yep. But again, I, I'd say that... Um, you know, my metaphor of adding technology is very much the case. Like we've taken everything that we used to do and we've sort of garnished it and augmented it with new processes. But I think there will be an interesting time where we start to think, right, you know, what technology should we use ourselves to do our jobs better? Like how can we plan and buy media much more holistically? How can we bring all this data together into one dashboard? And it's just a very scary proposition. So people yeah. are reluctant to do that. We are trying to publish this. Like we have this... Um, artificial intelligence engine called Marcel and the goal of that is to be um, the sort of glue that pulls all these strands together and makes mm -hmm. sense of it all. Do you think because advertising there's something that I read a, uh, a stat that um, people are exposed to an ad like every minute or, or something yeah. uh, if it's not uh, a billboard or online is technology proving the difference between someone actually having a successful ad campaign or not? So using like Marcel, for example, do you need that or? Yeah, I think um, it's a very big question. Yeah. Um, in short, we've got very used to, like, before the internet, we knew nothing. Mm -hmm. like, before the internet, we do lots and lots of stuff and then sales would go up and everyone would be yeah. happy. And if sales didn't go up, everyone would be sad. Mm -hmm. And that was the level of resolution that we had and we were comfortable with it. Then the internet came along and we could measure everything. So we could see how long your mouse dawdled for on the ad and sure. who clicked on it and who clicked on it twice. So we've become used to having very high resolution, very precise, fast data that's very cheap. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it's only just dawned on people right now that all of this stuff that we can now measure very quickly and cheaply is actually completely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Like click-through rates have virtually no correlation with success. Um, because no one looks at ads. Like they don't look on them. Like it doesn't mean they don't, there's this really weird sort of distinction that it's, it's hard to make because no one looks at ads, like no one yeah. notices ads, no one cares about ads, no one wants to have a relationship with your brand, no one wants to talk to your brand, no one wants a conversation sure. with your brand. Your brand is kind of completely irrelevant, but at the same time as holding that argument in your head, you also have to know that advertising works and that you don't see ads, but you feel ads and that brands have never been more important than ever. Brand building has never created more brand value than it mm -hmm. does today. So there is this whole sort of toolkit of the creation of this sort of um, tiny memories in people's heads. Like I can't remember seeing a Nike ad in the last year. I still know that Nike shoes are gonna mm. make me feel a little mm. bit cooler than other pairs. Yeah. Like I've never seen an ad for San Pellegrino water that's yeah. sat next to me right now, but yeah. I know it's good. I know yeah, it's a little yeah, yeah. bit wanky and pretentious. I have no idea how I think that, yeah. but I know that advertising will have been part of that process in a way that we can't understand. And I think a That's lot really of... really hard to quantify. Yeah, right? a lot, virtually everything that we're in now is like this assumption that we should scan all of the great sort of masterpieces of art into a yeah. database and then go, oh, look, lilies look good. Mm -hmm. um, blue seems to be a nice color. You know, four by three is the right size frame. Mm. And some of that stuff is kind of directional. Like, it's probably better to make a square mm. painting than a triangular one. Like, blue's probably quite a nice color because you might be doing the sky. Sure. But you could use that to sort of give yourself broad principles of what works. But I think we, we live in this sort of era where we hope and expect that one day, like, a robot will just do this painting for yeah. us and it'll be the best piece of art that's ever yeah. been known because of all this data. And actually, and this makes me sound like a hippie or something, there's something sort of magical about a song that you like or a, mm. a piece of um, art that you like, which you can't really explain. Yeah. And I think if I was gonna get really stuck up my own ass for our industry, like the reason we are employed is to be the sort of artists of this mm -hmm. world. Um, very commercial artists, but we're employed to have the empathy and the gut and the judgment and the sort of mystery and the spark of magic that does stuff that sort of transcends what rules are yeah. that are out there. And that's why we should be celebrated and paid lots of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Just going back to the point you said about um, you can always feel brands and brand building being really important. Um, how do you, how would you sell that idea to companies who don't really focus on their brand building they've always they, they were just like the first in the legacy industry but now it's ultra important to do that how I mean, would you even go about that the, the challenging thing we have is, is different like um 20 years ago everyone knew they needed to mm. build a brand and everyone knew it was expensive mm -hmm. and there would be people to who, who would sort of hope to not have to spend that much but yeah. still get a brand but they wanted a brand like at no point ever have anyone in companies not wanted brands they just didn't realize what it took yeah, to get yeah. there and then now we have this sort of uh, paralysis of misinformation where we have very smart, well-meaning people saying things like voice will kill brands or there's the rise of brandlessness or that Amazon's now doing private labels so all brands are stupid. And then people put out studies that show that the really big brands like owned by Mondelez and L'Oreal and Unilever, you know, they're the ones that are suffering in the wake of these digitally vertical native brands. Um, and it's sort of... Um, you know, all of that material has been cherry-picked to try and make that argument. And you can make very strong arguments the other way. You know, like franchise films have never made more money. 
the brand of university that you go to yeah. has never been more important. The brand of music you listen right. to. Right. Like our discovery process is actually entirely dominated by brands because when yeah. there's an excess of stuff, you look for things that provide you with reassurance and familiarity. Yeah. So brands have never been more important and that's the first thing to fight. Yeah. And then the second thing to fight is this idea that you can do it without much money because when you look at the Warby Parkers or the Caspers or the Bonobosses, mm -hmm. like they are good examples of brands that have been built with quite precise mm -hmm. Um, targeted brand advertising um, and the cost of those ads are kind of generally going up to the point where it's not that efficient and also there's now you know I, I'm, I for some reason I don't get ads on my Instagram feed um, it's like the luckiest thing alive oh, but when I see other people <laughs> so lucky yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when I see other people I have no idea how people cope with that platform um, but it seems to just be full of kind of reimagined trousers yeah. and rethought underwear yeah. and sort of um, socks 2.0 yeah. and it's all bollocks as far as I can see. So brand building is obviously really important yeah. but it's also easy to con people in, in mm. your brand uh, or like what you're actually trying to do and deliver them. Yeah. So for example there's Pret, do you know Pret-a-Manger yeah, yeah. Um, some studies came out recently that what they say like organic healthy yeah. if you actually look in there where they make their food yeah. it's definitely not. Okay. So is it easy to sell that okay. to people, but actually con them? I mean, this has always been a sort of challenge yeah. in our industry. Um, at the end of the day, there are parts of our business that we can control really tightly, mm -hmm. and there are parts that we have less control over, like, especially if you're like a franchise business. Yeah. Um, and like a brand represents a sort of promise and a series of guidelines and protocols and when you're making advertising you get to control everything like that, that's the most amazing thing about advertising it's the only place in the world where you get to sort of tell people what you want and you get to precisely shape that message but it has always been the case that the brand really lived in the hearts and minds of people and it was made up of our experiences of it and what we heard from other people um, so that sort of dynamic has not changed and sure. if you made sort of you know crappy cars that fell apart 10 years mm -hmm. ago you sure as hell would hear about it like 50 years ago if yeah. banks were crap like you'd hear about it sure but sort of social media and the internet and all that sort of stuff has, has just kind of like put rocket fuel on those conversations yeah. to the point where anything that's bad um, will be heard about very quickly yeah. and shared wildly like you don't yeah. tend to check into a hotel have a perfectly nice experience and then tell everyone that day that your hotel check-in was was okay yeah so if if something dramatic happens you tell everyone uh, i guess finally we are in a media environment of outrage as well mm -hmm. where no one really wants to report on a story saying global warming might be okay yeah uh, no one wants to say global warming like there's lots of science to say it's going to be awful but um there's a wide variety of opinions and we should listen to different voices so mm -hmm. no one wants to write a piece like that um you have to write a piece saying you know i can't believe what outfit this girl looked you know wore last night or this thing's far worse than yeah. we ever thought or that person's even more terrible than people expected and therefore you tend to only really get stories that sure. kind of make people feel something yeah i remember seeing one of your posts from um, a while back about instagram being like one of the worst apps for mental health yeah how can we how can companies create products um which enhance people's lives and not cause stress not cause this yeah depression i actually think it's quite a simple thing and i might be naive for thinking it's this simple but I mean, all apps at the moment are basically created um, to be drugs to people. Um, and all apps are basically sort of drug dealers. Um, because we 
have decided to monetize generally with people's attention. So it's a very, very unusual app that is not making money from anything other than how much we click on it. And then they know in order to get us to click on it that they need to sort of play with our emotions. So they need to show us if we've got a notification. They need to kind of do something to keep us coming back often. Um, they need us to be connected to as many people to provide as much content as possible. So when the monetization strategy is attention, everything is done to abuse that attention, including outrage. I mean, I know I said it before, but you know, the number of clips that I see on YouTube that are getting promoted by algorithms because yeah. they're performing well, and when you look at why they're performing, it's because it's a beheading video or a mm. murder video, or it's yeah. something to do with like boobs hanging out or you know, something yeah. that you didn't expect to happen, or the rainforest being you yeah, know, yeah. killed at a faster rate, or a tiger eating something. Like, sure. It's not anything close to what is sustainable, sensible stuff to watch, yeah. but our, our brains are sort of um, wired to want that stuff. So if you were to completely remove the element of monetization mm -hmm. from attention, and instead you paid for it, then actually you engage in this two-way relationship mm -hmm. where you are only paying for something because it's good for you. And therefore, it's not actually... I mean, Netflix is a good example of this. Mm -hmm. Like, Netflix aren't that bothered about how much time you spend on Netflix to yeah. some extent. Like, you're going to pay your amount of money, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, they're keen to make sure you're having a good time. Yeah. So they want you to watch things because if you're not watching things, they worry you cancel. Yeah. But it's not really in their interest to get you to sort of come back to it 10 times a day and to yeah, connect with their friends on it. Um, and I think that creates a much better um, relationship. So if you yeah. imagine that there was a dating app that actually didn't want you to keep on coming back to it, yeah. or if there was a social media app that didn't really want your data, yeah, yeah, like that's that's when that's the direction in which everything starts yeah. to become better. Well, dating apps should be surely should be made to be deleted, <laughs> right? Exactly. Because yeah, exactly. yeah, very true. And so in terms of um, so going to like phone addiction, phone addiction is a huge thing. What advice would you give someone to? have a detox from technology well i'm not really the person to give advice because i'm terrible with mine yeah. um you're on linkedin quite a lot yeah i mean twitter is my main sort of drug okay. yeah. um How, what what dicks why are you why is it a drug to you because i mean I, I, these are all very good questions and yeah. i think for anyone to try and solve this quote-unquote problem the first thing they need to do is establish the nature of the problem so i think um it's very strange to me, actually, when you look at what this stuff is, because if I was to wake up on a Sunday morning and put on some jazz and have a cup of coffee and sort of waft through the New York Times printed and anyone in the world could see me doing that, like, I would be quite proud of how yeah. I'm behaving. And I feel like the world would look at that as being a kind of a wholesome way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, if I was to do exactly the same thing, but with a phone and the New York Times app yeah. and I'm scrolling through, it would sort of somehow seem a bit sad somehow. Mm. It would look a bit lonely and it would look a bit like I'm on my phone and addicted to it. And actually, there's nothing inherently different about that process. So I think the problem with screen time is it tends to sort of bundle things that are very different. Mm. Like the, the kind of the mental health problems that come from being on uh, the New York Times app are very different to the mental health problems yeah. of opening up Instagram yeah, like comparing. 19 times per hour yeah. and sort of like, you know, comparing yourself with people that are on it. So I think... I think a key thing is figuring out to what degree is it a problem. And I spend crazy amounts of time on Twitter and I love it. And when I try and cut it out of my life, I find it very hard. But I also realize I just learned so much from it. Like mm -hmm. I, I get a great sense of, of uh, reward and I read fantastic articles. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's very hard for me to sort of establish that that's definitely a bad thing in my life. 
So I tried to, I mean, we, we put, I think um, Faris Jakob wrote a piece about media diets, a bit like real diets, and I think we need to establish which parts of our media consumption are terrible for us, but we should let ourselves do it, but not very much, yeah, and which parts are fantastic for us and we shouldn't worry about, but we all need to get outside as well. Yeah, absolutely. That actually comes on to um, my, my next point, um, which is just more around, um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Let's have a break. Um, can, can you show me Yeah, water I think this one was yours. How do you reckon, is there any, anything else that you want to... Uh, no, I'm fine, actually. I mean, I can take it in whatever direction you want as well. I think next we'll talk about um, more about leadership stuff. Yeah. So, what is the future? What is the future of digital? What? How do you build? What's the next? Um, how do you build like digital leadership? All that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Do you do consulting for? Obviously, you do for the publicists, but do you consult clients on how to hire for their teams? Mm. No. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, we might do informally, but yeah, not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, cool. So, what do you think the future of digital advertising is? Um, I mean, I think we need to realise that, to some extent, the fact is digital is irrelevant. Like, if I see an ad on um, a TV and it happens to be a digital TV or a digital ad, it's not really that different to a normal ad. Um, but the longer term future is to really start creating advertising that's different. So using the fact it's a screen that can be updated in real time, like acknowledging it might be a screen that we're holding very close to us, knowing that that device might have our personal information and payment information. Um, so at some point in time when the industry wakes up, we'll start creating entirely new forms of advertising for this screen. Um, and that's when things are going to get really interesting. And in terms of uh, going more into sort of leadership and actually getting people into uh, senior positions within the digital realm, what advice would you have? Um, I think, um, without sort of sounding rude about your question, I think I have problems with notions like the digital realm, because I think that's like saying the electrical realm. Um, and there are lots of jobs in companies that involve quite a lot of electricity yeah. and some don't. Um, but that doesn't mean there's a distinction between them. Um, I think what we really need to do is focus on um, people that understand contemporary behavior and they are curious about the possibilities that technology makes possible. Um, and that should just be a sort of thread that goes through everyone's jobs, really. And how would you actually recruit people like that? So I know you said uh, recently on a post about curiosity being very yeah. underrated. I think um, what I find fascinating at the moment is, um, generally speaking, nothing has changed in our life. Mm. I know that sounds unlikely. Um, but the really core things in life have not changed. Um, like the entire schooling process is based on um, sort of processes and structure from the sort of 10th and 11th century and the need to create priests. And then the material that's taught in schools is generally material that industrialists sort of 200 years ago thought would be useful to get people to fit into their factories. And in fact, education itself is based on making sure that people are replaceable. Um, you know, it's, it's, make, it's, like, it's like a drawer of cogs. Let's make sure that if one cog wears out, there's another cog that's similar. And that doesn't make any sense now, and it does, certainly won't make sense in the future, where we actually, what we need are people that are kind of um, educated, but we now have all of the world's information at our fingertips, so we can learn anything we want whenever we want. We can pick up skills that way as well. And then, therefore, you're kind of recruiting for an attitude, really. Like, I don't really care what people have done before mm -hmm. um like i'm not in control of recruitment but 
I'm part of a process to change how we think about it. Like I would much, much rather have a 23 year old that never went to university, that created an app when they were 17, that they sold for no money at all because they were an idiot and they didn't know how to do that. And then they had a sort of existential crisis and went around Asia and started a blog. And then no one read that, but it's still quite good. And then they kind of, you know, then they went home to look after their, one of their parents that was, you know, struggling. Like I would much rather recruit that person than someone that went to, you know, a good university because their parents thought they should and then did a standard degree. And then has two years work experience doing precisely the thing that I need them to do because like you, I need, I need a, a like character. Like I need, I need people with perspective. Like I need people with curiosity because um, without being our, you can teach other things right? yeah I mean it sounds very dismissive for all of the wonderful people in our industry but I don't think anything that we do is particularly difficult mm-hmm. um, <laughs> really okay. I don't there's not many meetings I sit in and I think wow you know I couldn't pick up a normal sort of smart curious person from the street and get them to be brilliant in that meeting in less than you know in, 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 in four months like I, I think it's a rare thing that we do. There are parts of our jobs that are very specialist. Like I wouldn't want to um, find someone who understands AI and can write recursive algorithms. I wouldn't want to pick them off the street. But a lot of our jobs are actually just human jobs and relationship jobs. Um, and it is only going to become more so as yeah. technology becomes a greater role in our lives. So yeah, like attitude is way more important. And you mentioned earlier about building a culture within publishers at the moment. Yeah. I mean, um, I can't talk too much about it, but there's a recognition that um, the very notion of a holding company and the very notion of an advertising agency and the very notion of client agency relationships has not really been challenged very much. And it's not going to be a useful construct for the future. And if you realize that, then you realize you need to change something. And if you realize you need to change something, you realize you have to go on a process to try and understand what you are now and what you need to be and then to sort of move with people to create that. Um, so I'm part of a group of people that sort of task um, with that process. And that involves, at the moment actually, involves really good questions more than smart answers because the answers are really hard. But it's looking at things like what, what do we need in leaders tomorrow? Like leadership until now has always been the same. Yeah. And it's the sort of army general type um, mm-hmm. leader. And actually in the future it's probably, and I don't want to get to the answer too quickly because we haven't got there, but it's probably more of a support function actually. Like it's probably less waking up in the morning, are they at their desks, here are nine things I need them to do. And it's probably more, they can be wherever they want in the world, they can work whenever they want, but there is a culture where it's expected that these sorts of outputs and these sorts of outcomes are gonna happen and that that person who's responsible will be driving their leader to say, I need your opinion on something, I need you to stand behind me on something, I need you to approve something. And the kind of leader almost becomes the orchestrator and the creator of that culture and the person that stands behind people. Um, I mean, like, there's a lot of thinking to be done there and I haven't thought it through, but I think the more that we can challenge what our presumptions are about what these roles mean, and the more that we can be future focused and be preparing ourselves to be the best holding company in 2025 and going through like logical steps to get there. Like the sooner we can do that, the better really. And that's what we're doing now. Yeah. 
So go, I just want to move on to, to wrap up. So I would yeah. want to move on to... Actually, just one quick thing. Yeah. I mean, we have these things like digital skills. I mean, yeah. like the number of programs I see where it's like, this is a digital skill workshop mm. or uh, we need people with digital skills. I have no idea what a digital skill is. I mean, yeah. the only thing I've ever seen that appeared to be a digital skill is when I tried to get my mum to do a double click on the mouse and she couldn't read really it. <laughs> Um, because we've all grown up with yeah. internet. Like, no one needs to know how to open up a web browser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no one. Like ideally, people would know like how to use like Boolean search terms in Google or something. But even that's not really required. I don't think we need any digital skills. I think yeah. to go to like my six-year-old and tell them about digital skills would be like going to like a goldfish and telling them how to swim. Really. Um, I think what we need is a sort of a future-focused, entrepreneurial, yeah. like risk-seeking. Uh, responsibility-driven, accountability-driven culture. And actually, that's got nothing to do with digital skills at all. And how do you think, and how do you think that will... How do you think we can implement that? Well, that's Is where that it gets like really hard. from a young yeah. age? Or? That's where it gets unbelievably hard because companies want to change, but... Companies want to have change, but they don't want to change. And I see a remarkable number of meeting rooms in really sad buildings that were sort of built in the 1950s on campuses in sort of um, cheap areas of land around cities. And you'll go into these sort of awful buildings um, and there'll be a sign sort of in the reception area saying, you know, dream big. And then you'll go through to like a meeting room and there'll be a laminated poster saying, think like a startup. And then you'll sit in oh, someone's God. office and there'll be something going like the power of ideas. And I never want to sound like an arsehole, but I just sort of think like if you have to have posters to mm. tell people how to behave, it's a very good demonstration that you don't really get yeah. it. You know, like I don't think I've ever gone to a small company that was really doing well and there were posters reinforcing how to behave. Um, and people get causality the wrong way around like people see happy people playing pool in offices and they think that it's the creation of the pool table that makes them happy and it's not it's that the pool table has come about a process where people are happy and relaxed and managers are kind of chill and you know the world right now is full of people metaphorically buying pool tables or having thirsty thursdays or um Beer Fridays. yeah they they're kind of they're putting the sort of cart before the horse really and i think um People need to sort of take a step back and just sort of think, right, what kind of company do I want to create? What sort of attitudes do I want? What kind of, how do I reward that? How do I recruit against it? How do I measure that? Uh, and how do I mean it? Because again, you know, the number of companies that say act like a startup and then you look at all of their policies and yeah. they go against that. So what kind of policies and processes do you need to create to make people actually act yeah. like a startup? So. So going back, going on, going on to your, so going on to your career, um, and you, you're at this point now where you're a speaker, a writer, you consult for companies, you're a LinkedIn influencer, <laughs> social media guru. Yeah. How, how have you built your brand, personal brand? Um, I don't know, um, okay. but I've never tried to. Uh, I mean, I'd argue, I really. Um, I really hate personal brands as a concept, okay. and I really hate personal brands as um, this dream that people are working towards. And at the same time, as as really, really, really meaning that and really hating this whole culture, I also have to accept that I am very lucky to apparently have one. 
and that it has and continues to be extremely helpful for me. So I can't be too sort of rude, but I would say, um, you know, people quite often ask me what my content marketing strategy is. You know, they're like, what programs do you use to upload your tweets and how do you decide what time of day to, yeah. to do your stuff? And that whole idea is so funny to me because, I mean, my content marketing strategy is to do whatever I feel like doing. And most of my tweets have got typos in it because I'm drunk um, or because I'm angry or because I've just <clears throat> had this idea before I go into a meeting yeah. or because I'm trying to finish another bit of work and actually this thing's just come to me. So this idea that I have a strategy is kind of ludicrous. Um, so your strategy is just going with it and just posting. Yeah. I'm not really. Yeah, I'm not saying kidding. everyone should do that. Yeah. But I mean, I think uh, it's not a personal brand; it's a personality. Yeah. And I think okay. I think, um, and it's not an augmented personality. It's not my personality on a Monday, and it's not my personality in a helpful way. Mm. It's not my personality through a filter. It's literally just my personality always, and I delete quite a lot of tweets. Okay. Um, not because they perform badly, but because I realised that that wasn't a particularly helpful thing to say. Mm. Um, but yeah, my entire quote-unquote personal brand is just me having thoughts and I post a lot more when I'm by myself and I post a lot more when I can't sleep and I post a lot more when I'm yep. jet-lagged. Um, and it's been sort of created that way. And I think that's how people need to be, really. Like, um, I, I guess what you're trying to get me to do is almost offer tips. I think the most important thing is that uh, like, our, like, we should just be who we are and yep. we should be passionate about what we're passionate about and we should hopefully if we are a curious interesting person yeah. then your brand will emerge from that yes yeah, i was going to say because when you said about people shouldn't just post because some people have really boring views and ideas so do you almost look at a, before you back to press tweet or post on linkedin will that get traction do you even think about that or do no. you just go screw it i'm gonna do it no because i think um because i really don't care okay um like, I've done quite a few tweets where I've thought, shit, that's really good. Yeah. Like, that is a really smart thing I'm saying. And then just as I sort of press the tweet button, like, it's almost like a sort of football player that's like back of the net. Yeah. Uh, and then it doesn't really do that well at all. <laughs> yeah, no, no, um, yeah. And then you do one thing, which is just some sort of snide, like off the cuff remark, which has got no real value. Yeah. And it'll go sort of quite viral. <laughs> and you realize from that that that's so true. like it's all it's all kind of nonsense. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and it's not democratic. Like, it's not like if you say smarter things, they do better. Yeah. In fact, there's probably some sort of weird, not like end shape, but sort of skews towards the end where if you say something quite mainstream, but sort of mainstream smart, yeah. you know, sort of um, somewhere between sort of Gary Vaynerchuk and sort of Tony Robbins and a sort of uh, between them and Scott Galloway is a sort of area to explore. Yeah. So if you put things in that area, they'll perform better. Yeah. But like, I mean, who cares? Yeah. Like we're all going to die at some point, and I don't think we have Twitter numbers put yeah, on our yeah, gravestones yeah. yet. So um, you don't have any uh, like ghost writers like Oleg and the Jet. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now my problem is that I've got too much stuff, so um, I have like a notes file on my okay. on my yeah. phone, and. I guess this is a more honest answer. There are times when I feel like I'm tweeting way too much and I'm mm -hmm. just going to irritate the hell out of everyone. And I feel like I've got an interesting idea and I'll just tap it into my phone and think, right, at some point I'll come back to this mm. and, and I want to tweet about that. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the only sort of strategy. And that's yeah. just based on having an abundance of thoughts, many yeah. of which are rubbish, more than it is about you know, getting extra stuff from other sure. people. So let's get one, no, I want one tip for someone that 
who is not a, like haven't hasn't got a brand like has, has loads of ideas yeah would you just say post it or um i think the more you think about it the more you're sort of going about it the wrong way i mm. mean i think um like it sounds so simple and it sounds it's quite easy to sound sort of smug as well because there's obviously survivorship bias in the world as well yeah. so it's just like well just pick the lottery numbers that come to you like it worked for me <laughs> um like be interesting yeah. and interested yeah like follow people that are really like challenging stuff mm. um like we have this very strange situation where most thought leadership is exactly the same as each other mm-hmm. i think people call me Jack like a yeah, oh yeah. Well, like, just like IoT is going to change everything. We're yeah. going to have cars that talk to each other, and like cities will have traffic that's dynamically rooted. It's like I've read that piece like a thousand yeah. times before. Um, so the deal is that I'm not like a contrarian. Like people think I'm a contrarian because I, I sometimes have different opinions to other people's. Um, I'm not a contrarian. Like I come to everything basically sort of with like an agnostic fashion, where I don't care what mm. Bain thinks or McKinsey thinks yeah. or what publicist thinks. I just have my own views, and sometimes they're the same as other people, and sometimes they're different. But I think it's the sort of uniqueness of opinion that people find quite interesting. So, like, be yourself and have your own opinions, and don't be afraid to agree with everyone, and don't yeah. be afraid to disagree with everyone, and just sort of be yourself and stick things out there. You'll get abuse, like I get lots of abuse. Right. You'll get people telling you you're an idiot. I get lots of people telling me I'm an idiot. And either you will enjoy that process and you'll grow a thick skin and you'll, um, it'll help you become a better mm-hmm. um, articulator of this stuff through that process. Uh, and you'll learn like who are good people to pick fights yeah. with and who are people going to block you. But, but also don't care about it yeah. that much. Like, it's not know. really personal, is it? They're just more, they're, they're having a bash at your comment, not yeah, necessarily exactly. you as human being. Yeah. Okay, cool. So where can people find you next? What's the best way to get in contact see, with you uh, not linkedin <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the best way to sort of see my stuff is on twitter or linkedin but i'm sure you can find me by googling my name um the way, what am i doing in person um i do mostly sort of private events these days to be honest i am in montenegro i think not this weekend but the weekend after um at something in like cota bay uh i think i'm doing something in bournemouth quite soon um nice Actually, I think I'm doing quite a few. I think I'm doing something in Holland quite soon. Um, Great. I'm not very good at this. Uh, but people ask me to sort of put on my website, like, all of the things I'm going to mm. do and when they can see me. And I don't know why, but I feel like that's a bit obnoxious, really. Yeah. So Because it sort of proclaims somehow that you think you're important and that yeah, people yeah. should make an effort to come and see you. And I also don't tend to promote where I speak at on okay. Twitter, because if I did that always, it would my whole feed would just be like, come and see me tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I need to figure out a solution yeah. to sort of, um, yeah. apparently I have fans and stuff, so I should probably owe them a degree of, 100%. Of, a degree of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should bring out a, a training course. I actually did do a training course. There's okay. one I did, um, I can't remember what the name of the company is now. Uh, Skillshare, I think it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all about selling, so it's all about how do you sell to people. Okay. And it, I'm quite good to do it because I get sold to by different directions. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I sell myself to magazine writers yeah, yeah, and yeah. Okay. to conference right. organizers and yeah. then I am sold to by all manner of different people and yeah, different yeah. things so awesome. I think it's on Skills, yeah. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, it's been good.